Good morning, fellow Elizabethans. <laughs> How are y'all today on this beautiful Sunday morning? Uh, all those who are visiting us uh, via live stream, thank you for uh, sharing with us and tuning in with us today. I am super excited about what the Lord is doing in and through this body of believers here at this church. And I thank you for joining in with us today. You know, God is a good God, and he's certainly worthy to be praised. And that's what we come today to do is to magnify him and to lift him up. Um, you know, we, we've been embarking on this study for the last, um, I guess, four or five weeks or so. Uh, and as we embarked on this study on building a multi-ethnic church, the mystery that was hidden in the Old Testament has now been revealed and was revealed in the New Testament. And this is something that we should have been cognizant of and aware of all along. Can I get a witness? Uh, and speaking of being cognizant and aware, I'm sure most of y'all are looking at me now and say, that dude got on two different pair of shoes. You weren't going to say anything, but you were looking at me strange because I got on two different pairs of shoes. Now, get, take note of this fact, guys. These shoes were made by the same manufacturer. They came from the same place, the same brand, the same uh, uh, everything, the, the same people made them, but they are two different colors. These shoes perform the same function. They provide protection for my feet. They work in concert in getting me from point A to point B. The only difference with these shoes here is the color of the shoes. Now, these two different colors uh, uh, by themselves would not have even piqued your interest, other than the fact that you may have said, well, he got a new pair of shoes on. Although they're not new, you've seen me wear them before. But so because you've seen me wear them before, you probably wouldn't even notice them, uh, notice them. But because they are different, it drew your attention to my feet. And the manifold wisdom of God in the mystery of the church is such that he's bringing different ethnicities together into one body such that when somebody comes to this church now and they look and they see two different colors, they go, mm, I don't see that very often. Mm, I wonder what's driving that. Mm, I wonder what's going on where you see white brothers and black brothers coming together, sitting up under black leadership and doing the work of ministry, and they ain't fussing and fighting. They just focus on God and his eternal purpose. So I just thought I'd throw that in. Just, just kind of let, you, let, let it drift in your mind just for a little while. Because, see, what God is doing and what he is He's seeking to do through his church, and it was his plan all along, we discovered from the scripture, was that he was going to bring the different ones into one body, the body of Christ, so that it doesn't matter, amen, who you are, where you came from, but you are all a one in Christ. But again, guys, I, I will tell you this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to correct myself because I've made this statement before that, that God is colorblind or the church should be colorblind, but you know what, I, I'm going to rephrase it, no, uh, in the words of Darren Gray, the church should be color blessed rather than color blind. Everybody say color blessed rather than color blind. Because when all of us, when our different ethnicities come together and we work in concert and we fight injustices in concert together as a body of believers, the world will stand up and take notice. And that's why God did what he did. That's why his plan uh, just dumbfounded and, and confused the devil because had the devil known that by killing Christ on the cross of Calvary that you and I would be here in this body together, he never would have did it. Can I get a witness? 
So we're going to move forward as we talk about God's plan for his church. I want to read something to you right quick, and, and we're going to get to these, these three points at the end of your notes. But I got to share some stuff with you because, man, when I'm, when I'm, I don't know, God has just been, been revealing things to me in such a profound way, and I'm thankful for that, amen. I'm thankful that, that he's given fresh revelation knowledge uh, that's inspiring me to lead, amen, in a way that maybe you haven't even saw me, me, me even lead this body before, but I'm thankful that God is speaking to me. Not that he hadn't always had, but y'all know those times when it seems like revelation knowledge just keeps pouring? And God will just pop a scripture in your head and you're like, where'd that come from? And he begins to reveal things to you. So I'm thankful for you today as we talk about God's plan for his church. Now listen to this real carefully. The Barnard Group did a study here recently. Uh, and uh, as you heard me quote them quite often, they do a lot of research as it relates to Christianity and re- world religion and what's happening in our society. But I need y'all to hear this, okay? Um, the Barnard Group says racial injustice is like a disease. He says, our research has found that the disease has not gone away. Uh, it says racial injustice has mutated into new forms and it has proven highly resistant, he says, to the antibodies of multiracial church. And he says, this report describes the symptoms and the recommended treatments uh, for, this, for this racial injustice. I gave you uh, on uh, Wednesday night, and Jay, if you can pop those up real quick, I gave you three points of emphasis that I want you to keep in mind as we go through this text and we go through the Bible and learn what the Bible has to say about God's church. Because if you, if you want to know how the automobile works, you go to the manufacturer. The manufacturer issues every new owner a owner's manual. How many of y'all, be honest, have went through every page of your owner's manual? Let me see the hands raised of everybody who's went through every, who read every page of the owner's manual. Y'all lazy rascals, y'all. That thing is sitting in your glove compartment. You have not looked at it. But there's a whole lot of functions, including myself. I'm guilty, too. There's a whole lot of functions and buttons in my car that I have no idea what they do. But they were put there by the manufacturer to make my ease and comfort of op- operating this automobile uh, something that, that I can enjoy at even a higher level. But guess what, guys? I am not and you are not taking advantage of the manufacturers of uh, 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 making of the automobile because we won't read the owner's manual. And so it is with the Christian church. Many of us won't read the owner's manual. We want to go on our own. We want to try to just do it our own self. And, and, and it's been proving survey after survey that that's what is happening uh, in our world. So look, look at this first point. I want you to remember this. Number one, racial diversity of churches is never to be the end goal. Our goal is not just to get a bunch of black folks and white folks and Hispanic folks and Asian folks into one body, and, and we can celebrate that. That's not the end goal. The end goal is this biblical racial justice, reconciliation, and authentic unity are the end goals. Everybody say biblical racial justice, reconciliation, and authentic unity are the end goals. Next point of emphasis, I want you to keep in mind, because I'll repeat these throughout the rest of this study as we talk about God's plans for his church. Pursuit of a multi-ethnic church and likewise a multi-ethnic Christian life must be, everybody say must be, must be firmly rooted in God's word. 
Racism is ultimately a spiritual problem. Everybody say spiritual problem. You cannot fight a spiritual problem solely with physical weapons. And the last point of emphasis I want you to keep in mind as we go through this study is, as history proves time and again, no earthly attempt relying on human effort can truly change the heart. Only God can do this and will do this when we allow the spirit to speak to us through the scripture. Everybody say, allow the spirit to speak to me through the scripture. All right, now listen, I want you to go with me right quick to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. 2 Timothy, chapter number four. And I'm going to read something to you uh, real quickly. Listen to this carefully. According to a new survey from Probe Ministries, born-again Christians have experienced a startling, startling degradation in their biblical beliefs during the past decade. Summarizing the organization's 2020 uh, religious views and practices survey, President Kirby Anderson says, pastors and church leaders just can't assume any longer that the members of their church or Christian organization have a biblical worldview. Listen to this, guys. The survey, which included more than 3,000 Americans between the ages of 18 and 55, reveals that born-again Protestants experienced the greatest level of decline in Bible-based beliefs from 2010 to 2020. Guys, listen to me very carefully. Things are accelerating. The birth pangs of the prophetic time clock of the Lord Jesus Christ are beginning to come in rapid succession. From 2010 to 2020, listen to this, guys. During that decade, the percentage of people who agreed with core Christian doctrines fell from 47% to 25%. Although people may label themselves as born-again Christians, says Anderson, they still can have a false view of Jesus Christ and embrace a pluralistic worldview. The drop in Bible-based beliefs among young adults, hear me carefully, among young adults. That's why I told you guys, when we start this series, we got to look beyond where we are right now. And we got to start looking to where we're going to be 10, 15 years down the road. Because if we don't, we'll find ourselves being a church sitting here with a bunch of 65 to 85-year-olds just enjoying ourselves, but we're not reaching anybody a bit younger than we are. Are you tracking with me today? Listen to what it says. It says, the drop in Bible-based beliefs among the young adults from dropped from 15% to 5% was remarkable and devastating. Probe Ministries notes in a summary among, they said among U.S. born Christians, among U.S. born again Christians between the ages of 18 and 39, more than 60% say that there's more than one way to salvation, including Jesus, Buddha, and Muhammad. More than 30% say Jesus sinned while living on the earth or they're not sure whether he did or not. In addition to exploring the basic biblical worldviews, the survey also asked participants about expanded biblical worldview, including whether the devil was real or symbolic. The drop-off in both categories is more than dramatic and extremely, extremely discouraging, a probe ministry's notes. The 2020 survey also revealed that the number of Americans 40 and under who are, un- listen to this carefully, the number of Americans 40 and under who are unaffiliated with the particular religious religion continues to climb. And only about one-third of Americans, 55 and under, say they believe in an active, creative God. I got to repeat that. Listen to this carefully. Listen to this carefully. Only about one-third of Americans, 55 and under, 
say that they believe in an active, creative God. Now, listen, he says, addressing the results, Anderson says, America's church leaders must continue to explain the cost of salvation and clarify to their congregants that there is no way to salvation other than through the sacrificial and atoning death of a sinless Christ. There can no, that, that, that no one can come to the Father except through the Son, but also that anyone may come through him. Everybody say anyone. Doesn't matter your ethnicity. God, God don't care. He, he created all of us, and whether you're black, white, purple, green, Hispanic, Asian, it doesn't matter. If whosoever will, let him what? Come. Now listen, for the reasons behind the plummeting beliefs, Anderson points to the pervasive, for the, the reason behind, listen carefully, the reason behind the plummeting beliefs, Anderson points to the pervasive presence of media and social media, especially among young people. How many of you guys see your kids Glued to this thing. I mean, you, you I mean, every, every, they're glued to it. Some of y'all, it's almost like crack. You don't have you, you start doing this. Try it one time, just leave your phone at home. Let me ask you this question. And you heard me say this before how many of y'all have left home without your phone, got halfway to work, and turned around and went and got your phone? Or maybe you got a quarter way around the block. How many of you left your Bible that you were going to study at lunch break and didn't bother to go back and get it? Well, I got on my phone. Well, I, oh, smart aleck, you know my point here. <laughs> Listen to what I'm saying. We, 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 whether we realize it or not, we give more time and credence to social media than we do to studying the God's word, okay? He points out that the media and social media, especially among young people, is a, is a pervasive, one of the pervasive causes of this. These disturbing trends are, yes, due to pastors. Listen to this. These disturbing trends are, yes, due to pastors, due to pastors not consistently teaching biblical theology. Now, one thing I am not going to be guilty of is not giving you word. Now, whether or not you receive that word, it's going to be totally up to you, but I'm going to preach it. And I'm going to stand on it because God's word is the, is, is the thing that, that, that helps us to grow in our faith. And God's word is the thing that will help us get to where we need to be in Christ Jesus. Go to 2 Timothy 4 right quick. And this is nothing more than a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. He said that these disturbing trends are, yes, due to pastors not consistently teaching biblical theory, but they can also be attributed to young Christians who are not paying attention. Now, look at me, young Chris. If you're under 40 today, I want you to look at me with my mismatched shoes on. Start paying attention to the things of God because God is moving in this atmosphere. He's moving in this world today. And he's, he's, he, is, he is fulfilling the things that were laid out in Scripture that were going to be fulfilled. And if you're 40 and above, listen to me, you start paying attention to, to, to also. Don't go to sleep in church. Let me say it again. Don't go to sleep in church. There are times when the Holy Spirit will give me an unction. I will have you to stand up if you're going to sleep. Pay attention because we're living in perilous times. And the times that we're living in, guys, amen, if you, if you read your Bible, you'll see God's word coming to, to manifestation right now. Go to 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. Watch this, okay? And I got to get to my text. I got to get there, guys. Say, pray for the pastor. Say, when he gets revelation, he likes to run with it. 
Listen to what the text says, y'all. This is the Apostle Paul writing to his young son in the ministry by the name of Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor. And he says, is what I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge what the living and the dead when he comes to set up what his kingdom. Now, you guys do realize that that Jesus will come back to the earth and establish a millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom of God, of Christ Jesus, will be on this earth and it will last a thousand years. The reign of Jesus Christ in the millennial kingdom comes after the rapture of the church, which begins at the beginning of the tribulation period. Now, there are some who argue uh, pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. What are you talking about, Pastor? There are some who say, and I believe the Bible teaches this, that that the church will be raptured up out of here before the seven-year tribulation period begins. There are some who teach that that Christians are going to still be here, and then in the middle of the tribulation period, before the the all hell breaks loose, Christ is going to bring us up out of here. And then there's others who believe that Christians will go through the entire seven-year tribulation period, including the, the last three and a half years, when there's going to be total chaos and hell on church for, on earth for anybody who names the name of Christ. But I believe I can show you scripture, we don't have time to today, that the Bible tells us that the church will be raptured up out of here. But after that seven-year tribulation period, then Jesus Christ will come and establish the millennial kingdom here on earth. Are you tracking with me today? So he says this, uh, and, and the dead when he comes set up his kingdom. Verse 2 says what? Come on, let's read. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. He's talking to Timothy, a young pastor. He says, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct. Guys, I, ho- I hope, you, hope you know that I'm being patient with this body of believers here. I love all of y'all, and, 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 and sometimes you may not agree with me, but just, just, just follow me in the word of God. And if you can show me in the word where I'm wrong, I'm willing to course correct. But don't just tell me how you feel. Tell me what the word of God says. Hello? And we can reason out of the scripture, all right? Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct. Rebuke. And encourage your people with good teaching. Can we read that last sentence together? Come on. It says what? Paul is telling this pastor to do what? Patiently correct. I don't give up on people. Listen to me. I don't give up on people. Yes, you messed up royally. Yes, you did something that that was shameful. And uh, and you may only told me about it. We're going to keep it together. I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to keep doing ministry together. We're going to try to get some correction in there. But we're going to keep doing ministry together. Don't give up on people. How would you like it if somebody gave up on you after you made your big mistake? Well, y'all don't want to talk to me this morning, do you? Let me see the hands of all those who had some uh uh-oh, some mess-ups since you've been saved. And it wasn't a, and quit calling it a mistake. It was a choice. A mistake is when you didn't know any better. Or when you did not intend to go do that. If I ran off in the ditch, that was a mistake. I was, I, I, didn't, I didn't try to do that. But if I go and try to hop the ditch and I fall in the ditch, that ain't a mistake. That's a foolish, sinful decision. Can I get away? So stop calling it a mistake when it's sin. But all of us, if we're honest about it, have made some choices and decisions that did not line up with God's word. But he says, patiently correct, rebuke, 
and encourage your people with what? Good teaching. Encourage them with good teaching. Look at what the text says in the next verse. Watch this. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. And I am a living witness that we're in that day and time where people do not listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They want entertainment. They want, to, they want you to tell them what they feel already. They want you to affirm them even in their wrongness. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Verse 4 and 5, let's read together, guys. It says, well, they will reject the truth and chase out the myths. Text says this, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Who's Paul writing to here? What was Timothy role? He's a pastor. He's a spiritual leader, okay? He says, what, well, don't be afraid. <laughs> Watch this, guys. See, here's where, I, here's where I think the church is nowadays. Many of y'all are afraid to suffer for the Lord. He says, don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Paul could teach this and say this with, with, with confidence because he had suffered because of his stand for Christ. He had suffered because he wanted to take, he was assigned to take the message of hope to the Gentiles. Y'all remember I read to you in Acts the ninth chapter, uh, and I read to you, uh, um, when uh, he uh, later on in that ninth chapter, I think it's around the 22nd or 23rd verse, where he was giving his testimony and recounting that, and, 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 and they heard him until he says he was going to the Gentiles. And they, they got indignant and wanted to stone him to death. But guys, listen to him carefully. He says, work at telling, he said, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. So we are living in this time, guys, where people don't endure sound teaching and sound doctrine. They, people, want, people want to come to church and get out in 30 minutes. Now I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. How many of y'all struggle with math a little bit sometimes? All right, let me ask you a question. If your child has trigonometry and bring the homework home, can you help them with it? Huh? I, I, I'm going to admit, it's been so long since I look at a trig book, I, it would probably look like Greek to me. All right? Even though, I mean, I, I, I came up in church, I'm not church, in school, and I had, I had uh, 13 years, including kindergarten, of of, 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 of school, what they call uh, secondary education, then had four years of post-secondary education at Louisiana Tech, and, and, and I would struggle with trigonometry and, algebra, trigonometry and algebra right now, even though I had all those years of taking math just about every year. All right? And so, 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 so guys, there, there are some things that we may struggle with, but listen to me very carefully. The word of God should not be that thing that we struggle with. And it took us a long time to even get to the point where we're competent to be able to go out as adults and live our lives and, and, as, as, as adults who are fruitful and productive. Why is it that when we come to church, we want 20 minutes of word and get me out of here, Pastor? Y'all, have y'all figured out by now you're going to get more than 20 minutes when you come in here? So just go on, rest your little nerves right now before you come up here and say, Pastor's going to teach me if I want to know it or not, he's going to teach it. I'm not going to wear you out. I'm not going to do like Paul, 
who preached so long that dude fell out the window and died. <laughs> Go back and read your Bible. Dude fell out the window and died. Had to resurrect him from the dead. I won't keep you that long, but guess what? I'm going to give you more than 20 minutes because I realize you are fighting a real devil who's trying to take you out of here. You're fighting a real devil who's trying to upset your, your ministry and what God has called and ordained for you to do, and you need some word on the inside. So I don't apologize for preaching 55 minutes. Because that's most Bible. That for, for many of y'all in here, I am aware that that's, that's probably all the Bible you're going to get throughout the week. So 55 minutes for a week, that ain't, that ain't bad. What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, surveys tell us that 80% of y'all don't read your Bible regularly when you're really being honest. Now, if I call you up and say, well, have you been reading it? Oh, yeah, bro, Pastor. (laughs) You won't lie to me. I'm just a man. God sits high and looks low. He knows that every time you open your Bible, (laughs) you fall asleep because you give time to social media. Huh? You can tell what everybody's doing on Facebook. And I'm not saying social media is not evil in and of itself. But anything that robs you of time with God and you substitute that for your time with God, it becomes an idol. And God has a problem with that. All right. Y'all still tracking with me? So let's just get back, get back to, our, um, to your notes. So, um, so we know we're living in the last days because people are not enduring sound. Arts. Let's go, if you will, go to John, the 17th chapter. So we talked about the fact that God has a plan for his church. We talked about the, the mystery of godliness. Y'all remember that, right? That which was hidden in the Old Testament was revealed in the New. And it's the fact that and God used the church to show the angelic host his manifold wisdom. God used the church to show the angelic host that I can do more with less when less is dependent upon me. I can do more with a remnant when that remnant will trust me with all their heart, mind, and soul. You don't need the crowd to move with God. As a matter of fact, if you move with the crowd, chances are you're not moving with God. Okay? All right. So go to John, the 17th chapter. Let's begin our reading at verse number two. Take note of three things as it relates to building a multi-ethnic church. Because again, guys, I'm going to I'm going to read some things to you that 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 I hope will help you, uh, because I want you to understand. I challenge you all, and I hope you go back and do this. Uh, I was going reviewing some things again, and and I've been reading and studying Dr. King's letter from the Birmingham jail. And I need if you go and read that entire uh, letter, it, it has some profound wisdom in that letter. That was a letter from King to, I think it was eight religious leaders in Birmingham during that period of time. And I'm going to share some things with you because there are some similarities, uh, I think, with what's happening in the church today. Uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people are okay with saying love everybody until you have to love everybody. You're okay with saying, well, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't treat people... In a different based off what they look like outside until you until you start doing life with people who look look like you. Are you tracking with me? And see, here's what we got to do. We got to understand 
that, that yes, we all have experiences. Yes, we've been through things, but you cannot allow your experiences to hijack and, and take a, a preeminent position over what God's word is for you in your life today. I know some people struggle. You struggle because maybe you had a, a, an experience that, that you faced injustice or, or racism, and, and now you're struggling. And, but here's why I ask you the question, and I'm going to show you what Dr. King said here in this letter to these religious leaders because sometimes what we'll do is we will map somebody else's mess to the other person. That other person had nothing to do with the other person's mess, but because you look like the other person, then now I'm going to say, I'm going to look at you and say, well, okay, you got the same mess they got. Are you tracking with me today? And what God says is that's wrong. That is wrong. I'm going to come to this side over here. That is wrong to judge another man or woman based off of how they look and you don't even know them. Oh, they don't have to be a different ethnicity. Some of y'all do it with people who look just like you. Don't even know. Oh, she mean. How do you know she mean? Have you ever talked to her? Have you ever spent time with her? She don't like me. How many of y'all ever thought somebody didn't like you? Come on, raise your hand. And you never even had a real conversation with her. Other than, hi, how you doing? Whatever, you know, in the Lord, good, yeah, hallelujah. <laughs> she don't like me. He doesn't like me. Quit prejudging. That's what prejudice is, to prejudge. And I, I'm here to tell you, the child of God, that's wrong. And if you're doing it, you're out of the will of God. Look at John 17 chapter. So we saw, as we looked at our text, we, we've been going through Ephesians, and now we get down to the crux of three things that we need to take note of as it relates to building a multi-ethnic church. We know it's God's will. Because he said, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we saw in Revelation 7 that in heaven, we know that, the, that, that men of every tribe, tongue, nation are around the throne, worshiping and, and praising the Savior, Jesus Christ. We know that that is happening in heaven. We don't know everything that's happening in heaven, but we do know that that's going on in heaven. So if that's the one thing that I know, and God says, and Christ says, do it on earth, I ought to be caught trying to do it on earth like it's being done in heaven. Okay? Now watch this. Jesus says, for you have given him authority over everyone. The text says this next verse, verse 3. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. Keep reading. It says what? And this is the way you have eternal life to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Let's go down to verse, skip down to verse 20. I'm I'm, I'm moving quickly. I want y'all to read this whole chapter, okay? Uh, Now, Jesus here is praying to the Father. I told you, this is really, if you really want to say the Lord's Prayer, this is really the Lord's Prayer because as his time on earth is becoming limited, he prays to the Father for his disciples, for his followers. Can I get a witness? Um, uh, let's, let's see. Uh, I tell you what, let's start back up to verse number 13 with the right quick. Let's read verse 13. This is Jesus coming to the, to the Father. He says, now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I've given them your word and the, word ha- and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. 
They do not belong to this world any more than I do. He says, but make them holy by your truth. Make them holy by what? Who is them? Come on, talk to me. Who is them? The disciples, those who are following him. He says, make them holy by your what? Your truth. Teach them your word, which is true. So how are you going to get holy? Huh? By truth. What is true? Word. So if I have no word, my ability and capacity to walk in holiness is limited and stunted. That's why your pastor always is encouraging you to spend some time meditating on the word. Be like Joshua 1 and 8 where it says, this book of the law should I depart out of my mouth, but I shall meditate therein day and night, observing to do according to all that's written therein. Then I'll make my way prosperous and then I'll have good success. But many times we're not succeeding in life and we're not accomplishing God's will because we have no word time. Quit excusing yourself. You don't even have to, even if you don't read well now, the Bible is on an app now. You can, you, can, you can be studying the Bible while you're driving to work. Huh? Turn off your slow jams and put on some word jam. Some of the young people are like, what is a slow jam, pastor? Slow jam, Yvonne, is Luther when it says a house is not a home. Can I get a witness? A slow jam... Help me, somebody. Al Green. I'm so in love with you. Oh. Some of you young people are like, ah, oh, what, what, what are you talking about? Slow jam when people used to sing and not holler at you. Turn off your slow jam and put some word on. Preach, put a sermon on. Put the Bible on app on, on tape or whatever. They don't even do tape, CDs or whatever. And let that time, that drive time, as Brother Ross says on our now let your drive time be your word time. Take advantage of every opportunity to get, get before God. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is true. So if we don't have word, our ability to be holy is going to be stunted. And, and, and our ability to obey God is going to be stunted because we don't have the word renewing our mind and getting down our heart. Keep reading. Let's go. Come on, guys. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Jesus is praying for him, for the disciples and us too. He says, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so, they, they, so that they can be made holy by your truth. Listen to this. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who would ever believe in me through their message. Anybody that believes in the original disciples uh, through that message, then Jesus is praying for them right now. So that means right now, by the fact, by, by fact of this verse, Jesus is praying for you and I. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who ever believe in me through their message. Keep reading. Let's go. Says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are what? One, as you are in me, Father, and I in you. And may they be in us so that the world, so watch this, this blows my mind. I told the small group and I keep repeating over and over again, if I was in charge, in order for, for, for people to believe 
that Jesus is who he said he is and he did what the Bible said he did and that God sent him. If I was in charge, Sherry, I would, I would probably take, again, take the whole church out there in front of Highway 3 and say, stand in front of that 18 women that's coming and just hold your hand out and hold it back while it's going 90 miles an hour. That's what I would do. And I would say, y'all come see. See, we from God. Look at these miracles. I would take us all out to the Red River and let's walk up and down the Red River from downtown Shreveport to the old Hammers Park. We walking on the water. That's what I would do. Everybody said that's what a pastor would do. But that's not what Jesus did. Look at what he says, guys. And here's, here's the power in this because the church has the ability to do this. He says, I pray that they will be all one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, his followers, so that the world will believe that you sent me. So what's going to be the defining thing to the world that the Father sent the Son? The unity of his followers. The coming together of those who were once arch enemies, but they're now together doing life together. Are y'all with me today? I pray they'll all be one just as you and I are one. And as, as you are in me, Father, and I in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Next verse says what? I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. He keeps repeating this thing about oneness. The devil loves division. Uh, The devil loves division. I told you before, the only Matthew knows is division. And he tries to divide along any number of sectors, but particularly along the lines of ethnicity. We know historically, guys, and and, and we studied this in 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 our study, we know that historically... The separation came way back then because the white evangelical church wouldn't stand up for righteousness. They were silent in the face of slavery. They were silent in the face of of Jim Crow. They were silent in the face of Reconstruction, silent in the face of the Civil Rights Movement. And and because of their silence, not all, because let let me say this right quick. It could not have been all because guess what? African-Americans. Have y'all just saw the latest census? We ain't increasing in population. We were only 12% of the population. So it had to take more than just black people to get freedoms. Did y'all hear me? I said we're only 12% of the population. So it had to have, it had to be blacks and whites coming together. Share with you right quick. As a matter of fact, read this and I'm, I want to I read something to you right quick. It says, I've given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are what? One. Look, look at this next verse as well. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience, watch this guys, don't miss it. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So how's the world going to know that? They're going to know it because the church walks in unity. Well, is it any wonder that the world don't know that because we doggone it ain't walking in unity. We're not walking in unity at the level that, that Jesus talks about here. This is not just talking about the universal church. He's talking about those, those guys, guess what? The world can't see the universal church. 
the world going to see this local church. And when the local church is segregated, when the local church is not doing life together, when the local church is having all these, these, these tensions and, 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 and stuff is going on, uh, then, then, then we're not reflecting what God says and what Christ says the world needs to see in order to know that the Father sent him. Dr. King says something here, and I'm going to read this to you right quick. So the first thing is, uh, first thing that we want to know on the outline, says we said Jesus envisioned the multi-ethnic church for the sake of the gospel on the night before he died. He envisioned the multi-ethnic church for the sake of the gospel on the night before he died. For the sake of the gospel. And there are some who say, well, don't, don't deal with racial injustice issues. You can't help but to deal with racial injustice issues if you're going to be a, a, a Bible preaching and a Bible teaching and a Bible following believer of Christ. Can I run through this ritual right quick? And I know my time is running, but I got to go through it. I may not get just, just one, but y'all just bear with me. We got all the time in the world to the rapture come to finish this. Because, guys, you, you know why I'm heavy on this? Because, see, and, and we, we're going to see this on Wednesday night, but racism is, is a two, two-sided street. Hello? Do you not realize, watch this, guys, do you not realize that the Jews hated Gentiles? And you know one of the reasons why they hated them? Because they were always, many times at the Lord direction, sent to captivity, and they were being mistreated, they were being enslaved by Gentile nations. So now, when you see them in Rome, they're still on a Roman rulership. Amen. They couldn't do whatever they wanted to do, but they were they, they they hated them because they had been enslaved by them. Yet God says, "You can't walk with me if you're walking in hatred." Or, okay, you're Jesus following, but you got a little racism in you. They hated them. Couldn't stand them. And the Gentiles couldn't stand the Jews because they thought they considered the Jews to be subhuman. Not even human. So you got these two warring factions, and now the blood of Jesus comes and brings them together into one body. And now the world who's watching this and saw all the hatred, all the them going back and forth. Now the world sees them coming together to work. I, I started saying this on last week. You know, it's, it's one thing when a black goes and joins a, a predominantly Caucasian church. And I, I'm using it just for point of identification, okay? We're all, we're all kinds of ethnicities. But it's, a, it's, it's another thing. I got my two different kind of shoes on. Uh, you know, it's, but it's another thing when you see a predominantly Caucasian, if we have a group of Caucasians come and join a black church and sit up under black leadership. Now people start to talk. Now whispers start, even among black folks. Can I say it that way? I'm from the country. But I can be sophisticated when I need to be. I can put on my banking voice, and I can go and talk about uh, amortization schedules. I can talk about all kinds of stuff, but I'm going to get country today. Because I want you to understand what I'm saying. We got to stop this foolishness. And we got to come together. On the, are you who you say you are? Because I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if some people are who they say they are. I, 
As a matter of fact, I believe Jesus when he said, wide is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the road that's going to, 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 to heaven, to righteousness. There are a lot of folks who say they're Christians, but when you really, it really gets down to when the rubber meets the road, how much do you really love Jesus? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, it's going to enter the kingdom, but he that what? Do it, the will of my Father which is in heaven. And see, people don't mind you preaching this stuff, but when you start doing it, they get uncomfortable. James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceive your own self. So we're going to be a doer. Glory to God. Watch this. Go, go to Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 1 through 5. Because there, there are those, even some of my, my, my white counterparts, pastors, who will say, well, you know, just preach the gospel. Well, we are going to just preach the gospel. Because we discovered, guys, in Galatians 3 and 8, that when the Bible says the gospel was preached to Abraham, what was that gospel? That he was going to be the father of many nationalities, many ethnicities. That was part of the gospel of Jesus Christ coming to die on the cross. Is he's bringing these entities together into one body. So, but, 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 but notice what God says to his people. He says, this is what the Lord said to me. This is Jeremiah the prophet said, go over and speak directly to the king of Judah. Say to him, Listen to this message from the Lord, you king of Judah, sitting on David's throne. Let your attendants and your people listen to. Keep reading. This is what the Lord says. Be fair-minded and what? Read it again. Be what? Fair-minded and just. Jeremiah, the prophet of God, talking to the king, saying, be fair-minded and what? Just do what is right. Help those who've been robbed. Rescue them from their oppressors. Quit your evil deeds. Do not mistreat foreigners, orphans, and widows. Stop murdering the innocent. Stop abortion. That's abortion. Stop murdering the innocent. Next verse says what? If you obey me, they will always be a, they, there will always be a descendant of David sitting on the throne here in Jerusalem. The king will ride through the palace gates and chariots and on horses with his parade and attendants and subjects. Next verse says what? But if you refuse... To pay attention to this warning, I swear by my own name, says the Lord, that this palace will become a pile of rubble. So the Bible talks about justice. Go to Michael 6, in verse 6 through 8. As y'all know, there's a book named Michael. Hadn't been there in a while, have you? Look at what the text says. Watch this. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God? God most high with offerings of yearling calves. Next verse. Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sin? Look at verse number eight. No. Oh, people, the Lord has told you what is good. What is good? And this is what he requires of you. Do what is right. Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Go to Isaiah 1 and 17 with me right quick. Isaiah 1 and 17. I'm just walking through the scripture text because we need some word in our, head, in our head and down in our heart. Learn, look, at what, look at what the prophet Isaiah says. Learn to do what? And do what? Seek justice. The church should be on the cutting edge of seeking justice. And that's one of the reasons why God has ordained this church to be a bridge, to bring black and white together into one body and to show the world that we can get along and show the world that we can fight injustice together. Like Dr. King said, when it comes to, to uh, 
uh, nonviolent protesting and how uh, it's gathered the fact to see whether or not injustice actually exists. Then he talks about negotiation and he talks about self-purification. And then he talks about direct action. See, I see a day when we as body, a, a body of believers here at EBC are doing the work of ministry, serving together out in the community. It's, 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 it's time for us to be out of the four walls of the church. If you really want to minister, get, get ready because we, we, it's time for us to get out of the four walls of the church and go and start ministering to people. It's time for us to, to deal with issues of injustice. As Christians, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, and fight for the rights of widows. That's what he says. But no, you, you want to sing. You want to have a musical. You want to have a youth explosion. What the, what the, don't explode youth. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Youth extravaganza. No, I want, I want our youth to know the word of God. Now, thank God for all, the, you know, trying to minister to the youth, but we need to teach them what the word of God says so that when they go to these schools and they're hearing all this, this stuff that's not godly, they'll have a, a, a moral compass and a word that will direct their thinking and they won't buy into that mess. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. Proverbs 22 and 8. I got some more word for you. Come on. We got to keep going. Because, see, some of us don't realize that justice is a part of our mantra as a, as a Christian church. But you can't fight for justice when you've been unjust because you treat somebody different because they don't look like you. Those who plant injustice, watch this, will harvest disaster. And their reign of terror will come to an end. Can we read it out loud on purpose? Read it again. Those who plant injustice will harvest disaster and their reign of terror will come to an end. Now listen to this real quickly. So the first thing we see is that Jesus envisioned the multi-ethnic church for the sake of the gospel on the night before he died. Dr. King said something, and let me, let me just kind of, if y'all just bear with me for a little bit, I want to share this with you. He was talking about the fact, because again, he was writing this letter to religious leaders. Uh, these, these, these Caucasian preachers and priests there in Birmingham during this time period. And he says this, he says, I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. Now, he, he, he's dealing with the, the political side right now, okay? I must I've been gravely disappointed with the right, white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in this stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension. Some of y'all, walk, we, we learned about false peace. Y'all remember our, when we talked in, 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 in our last study we did, emotionally healthy relationship. Some of y'all walk around in false peace in your own homes with your own children. What is false peace? It's stuff that needs to be addressed, but you won't address it just so, so, so there won't be no, 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 no tension in, in, at the family reunion. But when stuff needs to be addressed, it needs to be addressed. And learn how to address it the right way, the proper way. Don't go in there cussing and fussing. But as a believer, go in there with the word of God and with, with righteousness on your brain. That's been developed by your time in God's word. Listen to what he says here, guys. He says, he says uh, but, the, but the white model who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Who constantly says, listen to this. Because see, some of, y'all, some of y'all are this way with me with this study. I know some of y'all got feeling a certain kind of way, but guess what? I'm going to preach it out of you. 
if you really love the Lord and want to follow God's will, then you, as, the more you study, I got sisters to know that some of y'all came to this study with some apprehension. Some of y'all came to this study with some, with, some, with some insecurities. Some of y'all came to this study with some wounds that you haven't allowed the Lord to deal with. But what I'm trying to do is your pastor is to get you to deal with them wounds from 1965, from 1970. I, want, I need you to deal with those wounds because you could be a blessing to the body, but you can't be a blessing to the body because you still hurt. And you hadn't allowed the Holy Spirit into that space to deal with that so that now you don't look at people based off of what happened to you 30 years ago. And God has to put you on the sideline because you hadn't dealt with that. Listen, listen to what he says. He says, all right, watch this, guys. Watch this. Here's, here's what those preachers were telling. He says, they said, they said, I agree with you in the goal that you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action. That's what they told King. I agree with you in the goal that you see. We, we agree that there will be freedoms and rights, but we can't agree with you in your methods of direct action. Who, he says, who, who paternalistically believes he can set the, uh, t- who, who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom? Who lives by a mythical concept of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season? Some of y'all saying, Pastor, you're moving too fast. Moving too fast? The Bible has said this over 2,000 years ago. The Bible was already talking about the multi-ethnic church. What do you mean moving too fast? There is no, you can't obey too quick. Once I learn what the scripture says, I am under obligation at that point to begin to walk in it. Hello? Watch this. He says, listen to this. He says, mythical concept of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient time, convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. I had hoped that the white martyr would understand that law and order exist for the purpose of establishing justice and that when they fail in this purpose, they become the dangerously structured dams that block the flow of social progress. I had hoped that the white martyr would understand that the present tension in the South is a necessary phase of the transition from an obnoxious negative piece in which the Negro passively accepted his unjust plight to a substantive and positive piece in which all men will respect the dignity and worth of human personality. Actually, he says, we would engage in nonviolent direct action. We who engage in nonviolent direct action are not the creators of tension. We merely bring to the surface the hidden tension that is already alive. See, if you're feeling some tension, that's something that was already inside of you when it comes to getting along with somebody who doesn't look like you. That tension that you're feeling, it's because there was something in your heart that now this study is revealing. Black and white. Hispanic and Asian. So you, can you talk about a self-purification process? I told you as we go through this study, we're purifying ourselves. Because some of us got some stuff inside of us that's, that's, that, that God is saying, okay, it's coming to the surface now, but, you, but rather than really dealing with that, you want to talk about, like they told King, uh, 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 you, you're moving too fast. There's no time to do right. There's, 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 there's no time like the present to do what's right. They disagreed with his methods, but really what the issue was, they, they didn't want to deal with the sin in their hearts and acknowledge that there was a sin that's up there in their hearts. Guys, I'm telling you, I, I, I challenge you 
to read this. Listen to what he says. Uh, they, they called him an extremist because of uh, his methods of, of, of marching, uh, you know, silent, you know, ma- marching protests, no violence, but just nonviolent protests. He's, the question is not whether we will, he says, the question is whether or not we will be extremists. We, we, the question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists we will be. He says, but though I was, he said, but, but though I was initially dis- disappointed being categorized as an extremist, I, as I continued to think about the matter, I gradually gained a measure of satisfaction from the label. Was not Jesus an extremist for love? Huh? Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Is that, does that seem extreme to you? Yeah, it is to some of y'all, because when I tell y'all to pray for those who despitefully use you, you're going, hmm, not me. Jesus would be considered an extremist as it relates to love. He goes on to name some other ones. He talks about the fact that uh, Amos uh, was an extremist for justice because Amos said, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Was not Paul an extremist for the Christian gospel? Because Paul says, I bury my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Was not Martin Luther an, ex- an extremist? He says, here I stand. I cannot do otherwise, so help me God. And he goes on and lists some other ones. So he, he talked about the fact that says, perhaps the South, the nation and the world are in dire need of creative extremists. He says, I'm, 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 I'm thankful, however, that the saying, uh, that, that some of our, now watch what he says, because again, I told you, in order for this thing to take place, it, it took a team of people. It took the black shoe and the not so black shoe working in concert to gain freedom. And it's going to take black, white, Hispanic, Asian, and all of us coming together in the body of Christ and with our ethnic and diverse self. We can celebrate our heritage, but our heritage takes a backseat to our Christianity. We're going to work in concert together. Listen to what he says. I am thankful, however, that some of our white brothers in the South, listen, he says, have grasped the meaning of this social revolution and committed themselves to it. They are still all too few in quantity, but they are big in quality. Some such as Ralph McGill, Lillian Smith, Harry Golden, James McBride Dabbs, Ann Braden, and Sarah Patton Boyle have written about our struggle in eloquent and prophetic uh, terms. Others have marched with us down uh, 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 nameless streets of the South. They have languished in filthy, roach-infested jails, suffering the abuse and brutality of policemen who view them as dirty nigger lovers. Unlike so many of their moderate brothers and sisters, they have recognized the urgency of the moment and sensed the need for powerful action to combat the disease of segregation. He says, let me make note of my other disappointment. I've been so greatly disappointed with the white church and its leadership. Of course, there are some noble exceptions. I'm not unmindful of the fact that each of you has taken some significant stands on this issue. I, co- I, I commend Reverend Stallings for your Christian stand on this past Sunday in welcoming Negroes to your worship service on a non-segregated basis. I commend the Catholic leaders of this state for integrating Spring Hill College several years ago. And he goes on and talks about the fact that, that there, they had many people who were working in partnership with them to, to, to get the message across that all men are free. So what are you saying, Pastor? Why, I, I want to challenge you to read the whole thing because I don't have time to read all of it. But listen, guys, one of the things that he did was he challenged the church. There were those who were silent or who said, well, you know, just, just don't, don't say anything. We don't want to stir up anything. That's, that's, that's a social issue. But I just told you, we just read scripture that justice is a biblical issue. 
And so just like then when he was challenging uh, um, his white counterparts and, I'm, and, and, and he challenged some of his black counterparts because there were black leaders who were not supporting King's work either. You're moving too soon. It's too quick. We need to wait. And what he came to understand was wait was just a, a term for never. How many of y'all ever told somebody, well, wait, we'll see, we'll see. And normally that means I, I, I'm not getting ready to do anything. I'm not getting ready to move. Just wait. We'll see. We'll see. Guys, I want to tell you something. The time is now for the church to stand up and be what God has called and ordained for the church to be. The manifold wisdom of God needs to be on display in these evil days that we're living in. And I thank God for a people of God, for people who said it's time for a change. I thank God when I got the call from Scott, when Scott said something's got to change. We talk about this stuff all day long. We can pontificate about it. We can study it. But it's time for a change. It's time for us to get uncomfortable, all of us, and get into the word of God and let the word drive our theology and drive what we do as a church. I don't care if you, some things you may not be comfortable with, but listen what, if it's in the word of God, let's do it. And so, guys, we're going to follow God's will. I got to stop here. I got got to number one, right? As you can see, this stuff is in my spirit because God has called me and ordained me for such a time as this. And I am not backing off of what God's word says. It doesn't matter who doesn't agree with me because I'm, I'm looking in the book. Show me in the book where I'm wrong. And I'll back up. But if all you got is, well, I don't like that. Durbin says something in chapter three. Are you willing to lay aside your preferences to promote the gospel? And some people aren't. Some people are so selfish and so Americanized in their Christianity that it's all about me, what my individual wants is. And God says, if you are a dunamis or a slave for Christ, then it's not about you. It's about him. Jesus died for us. And so we're ready to go as a church to be a church that's going to be a light to a dying world, a church that's loving on each other and following, following God's will and being a, a beacon for justice in a world that so desperately needs it. So my question to you is, are you who you say you are? Are you who you say you are? Are you really a Christ follower? Or are you just doing something? Jesus gave his life so that you and I could be positioned to represent him in the earth. God's plan for his church is for us to walk in unity, to show the world that God sent the son. He loves us unconditionally. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you.